Step into the world of healthcare from an immersive point of view with the Symmetry Health 360 podcast. Join us as we unravel the complexities of the industry, exploring the latest trends, innovations, and healthcare policies with expert guests, thought-provoking discussions, and patient-centered stories. Tune in now for a 360-degree perspective on health. Welcome, everyone, and we're excited to have you here for the Symmetry Health Podcast 360. I am Rob Simeone. I am a principal uh, over our consulting division at Symmetry. I've been in the home health hospice and post-acute. I'm going on my 16th year, so I'm very excited to uh, be here, and I'll uh, hand it to Teresa for her introduction. Thank you, Rob. It's a pleasure to be here speaking with you today. I am Teresa Santoro. I am the president and CEO of RVNA Health. I am a registered nurse by profession, and I've been here at the organization for just over 20 years. Thank you, Teresa, and thank you for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Teresa, can you talk a little bit about RVNA, a little bit about the organization itself, services and and geography and everything? Absolutely. So RVNA Health traditionally is a uh, mission-based, not-for-profit visiting nurse association. We are in existence since 1914, so that's well over 100 years. We service 36 towns across Fairfield County in western Connecticut. We provide home health, hospice, palliative care, rehabilitation services, lots of public health, and free education to the community. Perfect. Great, great. Thank you for that. And really what we want to talk about today is there's a changing landscape in, in healthcare, right? And we're looking for more and more opportunities and opportunities internally, opportunities externally. And one of the reasons why we invited Teresa to this podcast today is her expertise and her experiences of going through a merger or mergers and acquisitions of other organizations on that. So really excited to have you here, Teresa, and, and really wanted to kick things off. As you went through this process, right, the first step in any process like this is identifying Who's out there? Who's in my community? Who externally do I want to look to work with? Maybe talk a little bit about kind of how you went through that process and, and make sure you found someone who was or, or uh, organizations that are the right fit. That's such an important question. And finding the right fit, it really can make or break the whole process. I think what really worked for us, the best case scenario is finding other organizations that are similar in mission, vision, values. Covering the same geographic spread is very helpful. That's not to say that it can't be done otherwise, but generally speaking, and certainly in our case, uh, this made for a winning formula and it certainly made the task much easier. So we merged with two like-minded local VNAs from Bethel, Connecticut and New Milford, Connecticut. And we had very similar histories and backgrounds. And together, we brought a lot of meaningful synergy to the process. We joined together collectively 300 years of minded, mission-driven work. And with other similar agencies, with these two agencies, we created a much stronger position under one unified organization. Uh, Also, what made it the right fit for us, again, is that we were all not-for-profits. We had deep roots in our communities. We were each committed to delivering the highest quality of care. We overlapped in a lot of the towns served. Uh, That really made sense. We were duplicating efforts. We offered a lot of similar programs and services, and we each had a board of directors who were committed to the mission, invested in the future sustainability of our business. Uh, and, you know, for many years, we were neighbors, we were collaborators, we were serving parallel missions. So 
on the surface, I think those are the obvious things that seem to make a good fit. But then you really need to look under the hood, right? And you need to be sure that the inner workings, the philosophy, the culture are similar. And I I have a sense we're going to talk a little bit more about culture and we'll get there. But the other things to, to watch out for are those red flags. Is this a right fit for us? What are the red flags? And you really need to explore that. Labor disputes, uh, do they have significant debt? Are there union issues? Are there regulatory sanctions? So there's so much to look at and examine to determine if it's the right fit. But, you know, that that was a winning formula for us, finding those local neighbors who were very similar in our offerings. And Teresa, that's excellent. And, I, and that's kind of what we see in a lot of these situations, where it works and, and, and how to go about the process. The organizations need to find the first step in anything is, is your mission and your values. Are they similar? Are they aligned? You know, if that is not going to work out, you're going to go down a, really a, a, a harder path than it need, needs to be. I always find interesting about your organization is really sticking to the core of its community and market, right? You're community-based. You, you're involved in the community, but also not looking to go, in, in this instance, going into a whole new charted territory that's unknown, right? A new geography, a new paramix, maybe even some, some new referral sources that you're not familiar with. I think sometimes organizations, we overlook what we're good at, right? You've been a staple in your community. You've been staple in your core market. Being able to expand within that core market and offering more services and being able to and better serve the community is easier to get everyone aligned together, moving in the right direction. So I really like that strategy. I think that really works for a lot of organizations out there that have been successful. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Rob. And when you think about the headwinds, right, that are so challenging in our industry, it's so easy and, and sometimes so logical. And for survival, sometimes you must cut back on what you do. But we have tested our mission over and over again for regulatory reasons, financial reasons, but our board has been very committed to continuing the community health and wellness work that we do out in the community, uh, lots of unfunded care, but it has not only served the beneficiaries and the communities well, but it has served the organization well because our communities want to see us survive and they are very supportive of us. So all of that mission-driven philosophy has really, it's been our touchdown. Definitely agree. One of the things when you're going through a merger and acquisition that I always find one of the biggest challenges is now you're a new organization. So maybe bring us through from a new value proposition that you had to kind of create. And both from a standpoint of you have your external, right, your referral sources, your communities, your boards that you're involved with, but also internally now, right? Because now you're going to ask new people to work together, right? Yeah, and I can um, describe how we communicated that value proposition both internally and externally. So here we were. Our merger occurred in the fall of 2020. Now, that in and of itself gave us pause to say, whoa, are we doing the right thing? We were, you know, well into the pandemic. And thankfully, we we went full steam ahead and we kept going. But doing it during the pandemic uh, and, you know, in the beginning of the pandemic brought its own challenges, right? I mean, we were communicating so differently. But due to the immediacy of the news, we had to educate our staff internally, first and foremost, through email, town hall, Zooms, some in person. Again, we were through, going through COVID and lots of opportunity for Q&A. We informed staff that we were really doing this to better address the growing needs of our patients and the communities that we collectively serve. We explained very simply to staff that with a rapidly expanding aging population and the increasing needs of younger families for access to quality preventive care, 
we knew that we could better meet all their needs by coming together. So we shared with them that this union would really give life to a new and vital organization with the ability to scale, develop new services, retain and attract the best talent in the field, and hopefully introduce innovative technologies and approaches. Our job as a healthcare provider had the capacity to become more impactful, more satisfied, rewarding, and offer more opportunities for growth. And staff really enjoyed hearing that as a larger organization, some of the value for them is that there'd be more opportunity for growth. Then on the external side, we moved just as rapidly in our communications. And again, we went through COVID, so we had press releases and social media, public town hall meetings via Zoom, and of course, some face-to-face as appropriate. But we reached out to our patients, referral sources, donors, and lots of other key stakeholders, informing them that this merger would just make us stronger, more viable, and be an essential part of the healthcare landscape in Western Connecticut. And we'd be better able to address their needs and the changes they see in the healthcare environment. So I guess essentially by communicating to everyone that pooling our collective talent and resources from three organizations, it would allow us to invest deeply in technology, programming, specialty services. That's been really big that the communities need to thrive and we as agencies need to effectively respond to. So it was a really interesting process, but the bottom line is that we would be better able to provide people access to care, expand offerings, just be stronger and larger together for people at all stages and phases of their life. And and it went over well. We had lots of questions. There was that feeling of, well, RVNA Health is coming into our town and they're taking away RVNA. There was a lot of that, those, those sort of fears to dispel with those myths. And I mean, I will call it fears. So there was a lot of communication to break down there. But all in all, it did go well. That's great. One of the things I really love that you said, a lot of things I love that you said there, too, is in terms of being able to expand what you can offer the community. But, you know, one of the things that you go through the, the merger and, and everyone always overlooks is how do you communicate it to the staff and, and those individuals that are, that are doing the great work and have all that talent pool. They're expanding on your talent pool. Well, it could be a great thing in some regards. A lot of people feel intimidated. Oh, now there's more people. Is there less opportunities? And I think really that's one of the key components, right? Is sometimes people feel that way, that maybe there's less opportunities because we're bigger. But in true, in, in, in reality, there's actually more opportunities to learn, more opportunities to expand. You have the opportunity to be more innovative, create more programs that they can be delivered to the, to the community. And even from a, you know, a technology standpoint, even more innovative on that side of it. So it's kind of exciting on that. And, and I always find that as much as you, you try, if, if you, you really have to kind of show that there is those opportunities out there as you go through the process and reward those people because you're going to go through these processes, right? There are going to be people who are going to get really excited. And I always say that everything's contagious, right? One person gets really excited about it. They see the future. They see the vision. They start executing and doing all these great things. And then the next person starts doing it. And the next person starts doing it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You make such a good point. It's true. And I should have mentioned one of the additional comments that we conveyed to staff and the community that, I guess, to address the fear factor that people were, who are you when you're coming in and you're changing my organization that I've worked at for so long and you're going to change everything and you're going to change how we are positioned in our little town. And the message we conveyed is that we were absolutely committed 
to upholding everyone's legacies, both Bethel and New Milford's legacies. And we recognize that there truly is strength in numbers and value in collaborating. And we respected and learned everyone's culture and philosophies and services and programs. And and we made a promise that we would uphold that legacy because they were each in business well over 100 years like we were. We tried to give people that peace of mind and confidence that we were not coming in and changing everything. There certainly is value in what they already had in place. And I think that's a great point because one of the things whenever you go we wouldn't be lying, right, if it's, if, to say that there's a process when this occurs, right? You have to go through a process, and you, you learn throughout the process. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of life lessons and well, lessons you learn if you, if you ever had to go through it again. So what are some of your key takeaways from going through the merger process in terms of what were some of the key steps, and what did you learn from them, how you went about them, did you prioritize them correctly on, on that side, and how you got everyone kind of involved and behind some of those decisions that were made? Oh boy, there were so many steps and it's an incredible process. And I'm trying to think back how long it took us from inception to completion. It probably was a good 18 months. And I don't know, comparatively speaking, if that's long or short or right in the sweet spot, but there certainly was uh, quite a process, so many steps. But I have to start off by saying to do it right, you need external assistance. We could have never merged with two other organizations without help. We could have never done it on our own. So our story really began with a few board members from each of the three agencies holding conversations, right? It was casual conversations on the benefits and potential for a merger. Then these casual conversations eventually made their way to an agenda item at our respective uh, board agenda, uh, board meetings, where it was unanimously believed that this potential is truly worth exploration. So our first step was to engage with the former Simeon healthcare consultants, now Symmetry, and we uh, engaged them for management advisory services. And that was critical because it truly set the framework. That's the best way I can describe it. Set the framework and provided a roadmap for us of all of the various steps. So we began with a deep dive into gathering the business sort of behind the scenes information from each of the agencies. And the consultants assisted us with merged entity integration strategy, conducted due diligence. There was just so much due diligence that was done behind the scenes. And the expected outcome of the engagement was to provide a detailed review of key potential risks, exposure, and different areas associated with the merger to help us make this final decision. Again, we could not have done it alone. They looked at our structure, organizationally, the governance structure, how compliant were we regulatory-wise, what was our financial health, what's our service delivery model, what's the competitive landscape. And they compared us against each other, and then they compared us to this competitive landscape, and it really was fascinating. They looked at headcounts. They looked at management ratio. Then they built a three-year uh, pro forma profit and loss statement, and that was eye-opening. So, you know, we had months and months of weekly meetings. We had uh, a liaison. We had a team member uh, with our executive team, lots of Q&A. It all then went to the board, and they chose to move forward with the mergers. So the next stop was to continue working with uh, Simeon, this time to assist us in the facilitation of a consolidation and integration plan. It was just an incredible process. Uh, That entailed who will the CEO be, the title decisions, what would our structure look like, 
What are the GPH requirements to transition patients over? How do we merge our banking accounts? What investment accounts do we have? All of that stuff, all of that transition to to fully integrate into one big operating platform. You can't do it without an attorney. We had to engage our legal assistance for support on due diligence, letter writing, gosh, so many negotiating agreements, so many different so many different legal aspects. We then announced the news to staff, to all agencies, staff at every, all three agencies at the same day and truly at the same time. Because when word gets out and when people hear it differently, that's really asking for trouble. So the very next step was to make that announcement uniformly across all three agencies. It's, it was critical to keep everyone up to date on the news. The worst thing you could do is leave staff in the dark on important decisions. You're looking to build trust and loyalty, and you know that there is, it, we're, we're human beings, right? There's you, there's skepticism, there's fear and all sorts of things. So you have to begin to develop trust and loyalty from day one. So there were lots of steps. I guess my point is you just can't do it alone. You need that external expertise to lead the way. Now, Teresa, that's a great point. And that's something I've kind of learned throughout this process is that I call it Switzerland, right? You have Switzerland come in and they really kind of look at it and they're going to do what's right, right? We're, we're not taking anybody's sides or anything in this. We want to make sure that the organization is put into a, a good place, a you know, sustainable place to, to be able to execute in, in, in the future and really kind of make sure things are moving along. You don't get stuck, right? There's so many little details that go on in this process and making sure they're not stuck on decisions and moving forward because one of the biggest things as you start communicating with your staffs and communicating with the teams. People want to see progress. Once you get stuck and you're not, when you get stuck, you stop communicating and then people feel like they're in the dark, right? So having that third party always come in and kind of move it along really, I think, helps not only the process of just moving things along and, and, and being more successful, but it helps the communication strategy. It helps the buy-in of the team because you see momentum, you see you start to see what the vision of the of the future vision of the organization is. So I agree with you 100%. I, I always recommend it. It's a great way to to make sure that you don't get, get stuck. And not only that too, but you want to make sure all the voices, it's a great resource to hear all the voices. Lots of people are going to give, hey, this is what we've done, this is what we've done. And you take little pieces of it. Usually it creates a really great way to go forward. But being able to take all those and, and come up with a, a solution that's going to work best for the organization, that's what sometimes the outsider does because they're coming at it from a different perspective, right? They not necessarily have lived there in one place for five years. They've seen what hasn't worked and what has worked out there in the market. And bringing that level of expertise always really just, it just helps. And it, it kind of solidifies even too, if you've made a decision and it is the right decision, it's always just good to have someone that says, hey, you're right. This is what other organizations are doing. This is how you're compliant day one so that you can be able to, you know, day one, you want to make sure your employees are paid, right? And you want to make sure that you're able to bill and collect and, and, and be able to service the community as well. So Yeah, that's so true. And we all have this unconscious bias, right? So, you know, having that external we had a wonderful core team and we had a wonderful leader on the Simeon side who really led the charge in a very unbiased, objective, using standardized practices when it comes to what that hierarchy should be and who should have the, the job, who, who should have the manager job. She interviewed people. I mean, but it didn't come from any place of unconscious bias. It came from skills assessment, talent assessment, a real look at hard numbers. And we had peace of mind knowing that this was 
totally objective against benchmarks and and standards. So, Teresa, one of the big things as a leader of an or, of an organization, and you're going through this foundationally, right? It's the word we hear. It's what keeps you know the staff there, keeps people engaged. What makes people feel proud about the work they do every day is the word culture. And, and when you go through this, right, everyone, while most of us have similar cultures, there's always varying attributes of things we do. I know when we do some of our things, you probably heard Eric Sharper does his, you know, what's acceptable above the line, below the lines. Can you wear jeans to the office or can you not wear jeans to the office? I always give that because that's a culture trait that we've had to kind of grow out of, grow into because Back in the day, you know, like Teresa said, so, you know, we never wore jeans in the office, but now it's acceptable to wear jeans in the office. But culturally changing, little things like that. How did you build that culture? How did you go through that as an organization and, and really make sure you kind of solidified what that looked like as you went through the process? Rob, building the culture is so critically important to the success of the entire process. And what took me quite a surprise while very daunting. The business, the legal, the regulatory, the HR decisions, which seem, again, so daunting and difficult to accomplish. What my experience was is they were far easier to accomplish than the softer human side of the process. I mean, that's really where the work came in, establishing a unified and accepted by all agency-wide culture. And that really took work because back to the trust word, it just doesn't happen overnight. Again, we're, we're human beings and it takes time. So it was difficult at first, I have to say, because certain staff identified themselves as either being from, well, I'm from Bethel, I'm from New Milford, I'm from Ridgefield. And each organization had different cultures and we each had different sets of behavior. But we worked hard on changing that and we were very successful. But again, it took time. So I don't know if you ever heard of this book, but we used a great book. It's called Culture Renovation and it's written by Kevin Oakes. And he provides a culture playbook, a step-by-step approach on how to build an unshakable company through culture change. And he talks about, it's very interesting, he talks about culture renovation, like renovating a beautiful old house. There are so many things that are foundational that make it what it is and knowing what to keep and what to change. And we took some of the guidelines in his book and we decided that it's not about pitching everything out of the window and starting over, but instead finding the best qualities of each organization and building from there. And the staff from the various organizations saw that we were doing that. We respected what they brought to the table. And we also learned that it's not about developing these ethereal strategic pie-in-the-sky ideas and statements, but rather getting down to the brass tacks and identify what can we tangibly do to make a cultural impact to our new organization. And most importantly, how do staff see it and how do they feel it? So in order to drive real culture change work, we began by, we looked at our strategic plan, right? We had a three to five year strategic plan in place, and we began to modify that from a business and customer and staff experience perspective. We deployed a listening strategy. You must listen to everyone. And it's not about who the acquiring organization is that rules over everything else. You just have to listen with an equal and fair ear. So we listen to our employees, we listen to our customers, and we acknowledge that we were three separate and distinct organizations that each had to be respected and heard. And together we revised our mission, our vision, but 
We spent a ton of time on our values and the values are really the foundation of the culture. So we developed a cultural value statement. It's front and center on our intranet, emails, department agenda headings. From there, we really dove into, we identified five major values and we didn't just from top down say, okay, here's our five values that everyone has to march to. We created employee engagement committees, value uh, subgroups. We, we just top down, left, right, right, left, bottoms up, and we sought everyone's opinion. How do we want it to feel like working at RVNA Help? What's the personality of this organization? We wanted everyone's input. So we came up with a wonderful list of values and lots of information. And now you have to operationalize them, right? I mean, they look beautiful in a frame on a wall, but how do you know that people are really living the values? So we established this cultural refinement committee and we looked at where are the weaknesses in our organization? Where are the weaknesses in our behavior that we need to strengthen? What are our desired behaviors? So on a quarterly basis now, teams are still actively working very tactically on actionable items that support our values. And we go back to staff on quarterly town hall meetings and say, this is what we've accomplished this quarter. We keep it alive so people know that it really is very important. And we tie it to performance evaluations and they're, they're coded into their competencies. And we come up with examples by person of how they're living that culture. So some little examples, but important examples for email and meeting etiquette. How do we, what's the tone? How do we speak to each other? How do we show respect? How do we show honesty? Breaking down silos. How do we onboard new staff members? How do we ensure leadership teams are present and leadership's not just behind closed doors? Are they accessible? And then you just have to continue to measure, monitor, and report out of how you're doing. It's an ongoing process, and it's been very fascinating. It's been successful. And I have to say the outcome has been uh, the team building, trust, a lot of integrity. And we encourage everyone to get involved and have a seat at the table and, and give us your input. So it's a living, breathing process that you have to continue to work on your culture all the time. Now, Teresa, that, that is definitely rings a bell to just even from our internal experiences, obviously going through internal merger. I always say that my proudest moment of the whole merger was when we did our call, and this probably was maybe six to nine months in or somewhere around that range with a client and no one introduced themselves as a legacy company. They'd introduced themselves as Symmetry. And I felt, I was like, I felt proud. I was like, we finally are starting to get that we're starting to really be, be one one company and we actually worked with another organization and I found it fascinating. They actually called the project of kind of integrating project belonging and they rallied around belonging. And that was kind of the catchphrase of the organization. I thought it was kind of fascinating because it was encompassing that that idea of trusting each other, right? Because the fundamental of a culture needs to be built on that trust. It has to be one of the underlying things that you have on it. So it was and even from a cultural standpoint, I do think it's something that it's always evolving and really making sure that you're communicating and respecting everyone's cultures and differences and, and finding out, kind of going back, tying it back to mission values. But I, through our process of going through this, right, is we have a bunch of people in our organization that love this industry, right? They believe in post-acute care. They believe in home health, hospice, other community-based services, private duty, all those different aspects they really believe in. And when we first merged, that was where we had to rally behind because we are all here for one reason, right? One reason we're all here is to make sure these organizations that we work with and that we believe in that are going to serve the community are going to do a great job. And culturally, 
that's what we had aligned. Now, how we got there in, in different different ways and, and different pieces of what we did, how we did it, we had to learn from each other and incorporate different things. But one of the things I always asked the group as we went through our process was, why are we here? Why are we all here? And if we all answered it the same, then I know we'll make the right decision, whatever it may be to go, go, go forward. So. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And you made me think of one other thing. I, I think you also have to lead with humility. We went into this with tremendous humility. We never claimed to these two organizations that we knew more, we did it best, our programs were stellar. We, we went into this looking to learn from them. I mean, we knew 100%, with 100% sincerity that they would bring things to the table that we were not doing as well or perhaps weren't doing at all. And staff really appreciated that opportunity to let them tell us what's really working at their organization. And now, a few years later, they are beaming that we took their programs, kept them alive. I mean, there are several programs that they had that we didn't offer to the community. And we've taken those programs and with our collective resources have just grown them to more communities and census has grown. And there's tremendous pride for those two agencies to say, these came from Bethel, these came from New Milford and look at them now. I think you really have to go into it with a lot of humility and an open mind that is something to learn from everyone. What were some of the challenges you went through and maybe some advice you'd give to someone else as they go through the process? Hey, we didn't necessarily think of this, but this would be something definitely put on your radar as you go through this. Right. That's such a great question. Like anything else, there's always lessons to learn, right? And you look in the rearview mirror and say, what could we have done differently? So I guess if we were to do it all over again, here's a couple of things. We, we would have factored in a financial reserve for payer source recovery and contract wind downs from the legacy agencies. There's always something that doesn't surface. Maybe it's a cell phone or printer contract or aging accounts that were not well managed. Assume that there's something you're going to find out later. So certainly have that, build that financial reserve because something will come out of the woodwork. We also would have inquired about a terminal database from the emerging entities, EMR. Just for historical record purposes, that was an unexpected expense, again, that we didn't see coming. I would also say decide on the new organizational hierarchy and hire uh, and retain to that hierarchy only. Just stick with it. It's very easy to add a position or two here and there. Maybe there's a couple of awkward situations and slowly but surely you're you're going above and beyond the suggested hierarchy. If you don't stick with the planned hierarchy, it makes the next 18 months of right-sizing much more challenging. I'd say that uh, payroll and home care home base, our EMR went pretty well. Payroll was just simply a cutover with benefits accrual for emerging employees and EMRs to run uh, for a concurrent period. So that went okay. Lastly, I would say have as many HR staff members present as you can across all locations. The communication blurs. It really blurs when people are anxious and hear news differently. And if you have an HR staff front and center ready in person, they can jump in early to alleviate those fears and, and reset the tone because you surely don't want to lose anyone 
who you were hoping to, to uh, bring on and, and have stay. Those would be my pieces of advice if we could do it over again, what we would do differently. Uh, I always say this, the finance person who's come in after agencies have gone through this or, or even during 100% agree on the accounts receivable wind down. What happens is, right, you have a bunch of new staff potentially going to a new system, learning it, and you want to stay on top of your claims. Filling in this industry is not easy by any means, especially when your market where you have a high number of managed care plans where really there's a lot of follow-up and more follow-up and more follow-up that needs to be done on some of these claims and uh, on that side of it. You know, to have someone on the back end being able to maybe putting more different resources, whether it be looking at an outside company or even bringing in some temp staff just to be able to go in there and, and manage that so your team can focus on moving forward and not kind of going backwards and going back and forth because you're bringing up two systems from billing staff is not advantageous to them being very productive. And it can be frustrating and you can lose people, right? I mean, that's frustrating having to go back and forth between staff, between those is, I, I agree 100%. That can be a, a, a very challenging and even to, to your point, HR, I agree. There, there need to be involvement throughout the whole process, making sure when you're looking at payroll, moving that over, but also too, if there's any changes in terms of benefits, how does that affect everyone? Or even on top of that too, I've seen a lot of organizations, right? Is you have your, based on tenure, maybe your increases and things of that nature, like everyone has a little bit difference, right? Not necessarily a lot of differences, but there's a little bit of differences in terms of how they pay staff. And all you're sitting there saying is actually a couple of years back, we did a, a reconciliation of, of, of payroll from organization. They merged four or five agencies, all four or five agencies had different wow. ways, different 10 years of how they paid staff. So if I were sitting there talking to another nurse or even talking to, to, to another biller or whatever in the organization, I could have been there 10 years, 11 years. I'm getting paid X dollars more. And people talk. I mean, you know that, Teresa. People have these conversations. We don't, sometimes as leaders, we don't think they do, but, but they do. Those conversations on, on that side of it and really making sure HR has a plan around of some of those aspects and, and communication too, changing vacation policies, changing those things. They always impact someone. They might not impact everyone. And even I've gone through enough of these where you go through these and 99 of your staff are fine. They actually have benefit, but there's one person that you know, and you're going to have that conversation with that individual. It takes a lot of emotional intelligence that there really is a lot of emotion involved here. And to your point, you always want to be monitoring the reaction of people. And managing and shaping these reactions are only going to strengthen the process and the organization. But you need to be there in real time to catch the reaction and either course correct it or validate. That's right. I mean, you're right that you have to be in line with what people's, people are feeling and emotions. Because even though you think it might just be one person, those things catapult into another one. Because that one person usually has someone they go to with their problems. It might not be you. It may go to someone else. It, it can have a snowball effect on it. So really staying on top of those and, and understanding, like, when we make a change, how is it going to impact it? What's in it for me? So that when you do make a change, you really need to be able to sell that to whoever you're having that conversation with to say, hey, this is what's in it for you. This is why this is going to be a good thing. Maybe today it might not be the greatest thing, but in the future, it's going to benefit us to be able to grow, to expand. It may make us more attractive in terms of hiring on that side of it. Maybe there's even things that that you can do in the meantime. Definitely need to kind of be prepared for those conversations because you just don't want them to snowball. And really for the like we go back to the, the cultural conversation, the staff to lose trust. When you went through this process, right, what point did you feel like, wow, mm. we did it? We were successful. We really came together. We're doing exactly what we came out to do. We're serving our community. We're providing great services. But when did you get that feeling? Was there an event? Was there a moment? And what a great feeling that is, right? After all the work you just went through and the time, the resource, the money, what a wonderful feeling when there's something tangible that you can say, wow, this was worth the effort and uh, it's a success. So I have a few examples that come to mind. I mean, I, I guess on the business side, when we could confidently say, 
that our referrals and our average daily census retained about a 60% increase ongoing. I mean, from a business perspective, that was really great, right? Then there's the board level, because don't forget the board is dating and getting to know each other at the, the merged board. They're just building their own relationships and building trust and loyalty to each other, to the new organization. So on the board level, it was such an interesting process. So initially, we had built into our merger agreement that there were board seat expected ratios of members from each of the legacy agencies. So during year one in the nomination process and the filling of board seats, uh, this expectation was met precisely We had X amount of seats for each of the three organizations, and we went through it. By year two, the merge board had built great trust, great collaboration, and they had a uh, unified purpose. So the nominating cycle was more focused back on what we did previously with skill and talent versus where the board member came from. So that felt really good, that trust and confidence was built up, and it no longer mattered where the board member came from. What mattered was what they brought to the table, and that is what builds a a strong board. And then lastly, what felt really great and felt like we got there, we arrived and were successful, was staff retention. Initially, not everyone held on and not everyone stayed to see how it all went. That fear factor sometimes got the best of everyone, and some didn't stay, but several staff did stay, and they had a great attitude there. I'm going to play this out and see how it goes. And good for them, because now each year we recognize staff members with length of service awards. And for the last year, it's been an absolute pleasure to award staff members from all three agencies, their 5, 10, 15 and 20 year service awards. And they could have been at that former agency for 20 years. And now they're with us and they stuck with us and they're singing the praises and they see the benefit of the merge. And they're feeling it. They have lots more opportunity and they're telling us about it. They're telling us their stories. So I have to say those are the three main examples. Those are the, those are three good examples I can come up with that really made us see that we did the right thing. And certainly the feedback from the community. Initially, the towns were suspicious. The municipality was suspicious. You're coming over and you're, you're taking over our VNA. Now to watch that nurturing, collaborative relationship with the municipality has been wonderful. To just forged relationships, strengthening and rebuilding new, building and rebuilding relationships has been wonderful. That's a great point in, in terms of when you felt like that was successful. Because I think there's different kind of components that determine success. Right? I think number one is really the people being bought into it, you feel like the people are bought into it and, they, and they, you feel like you're one organization. I mentioned when people stopped using legacy titles, but I always thought it for our organization was we actually did a, a retreat of our team and, and, and our leaders. We had a lot of integration on our team and the way everyone interacted and talked about we together, we could do these are some of the strategies, these are things that have worked for us. I really having that respectful conversations about here's how we're going to move forward. Um, here's what we've learned and people enjoying each other's company and no, oh, side conversation. Well, this person said this person, there's no side, which is beautiful, right? You guys can get that in the beginning. There's always side conversation. So to your point, the second part is just the, the how people feel about this, right? When companies come together, your, your customers, your, your referral sources, your communities, your patients, your, your donors, how they feel about this coming through. Because there's a lot of trepidation there that happens, right? Well, why, why do they do this? What is this going to affect? Is this going to have impact here? Is this going to potentially 
change the overall strategy of the organization or how they provided services. And we went through some of those challenges too. What we went through that is like, you know, people ask that question, is this going to change everything? And I think for our, for our organization, very similar to, to yours, is when you went, and I think it was maybe a year in or so, a year and a half in, and we went to one of the conferences and the feedback we got about the work we had been doing since coming together made it feel like we really have started making an impact and that we were really going in the right direction. And, and, and kind of coming back, I thought, too, we're able, kind of like you're talking about, you come back in the, in the, the tenure of in, in retention, we were able to come back and tell team members about some of the feedback that maybe they hadn't heard or the client hadn't told them. I, I always felt like we were more now together because kind of that was our mission, right? Our mission was to be a company that can help move the industry in the right direction, help our clients and do all those things. And once we kind of were able to kind of really get that opportunity to sit down and get those stories, I felt like we did the right thing. And then you can go back to your team and say, hey, this is all working. Whatever's going on here is really working. It's really moving in the right direction. And you start to feel like, hey, this is really successful. Right. I just think that's the best because you know, sometimes we get, you get caught up, right? Or all the stuff we talked about today, right? The payroll, challenge, you know, payroll challenges or technology challenge or financial challenge. Again, kind of going back and I think setting the, the feeling of accomplishment is when you start hearing those stories out there and, and what the great work has been done that you've really done what you really came out to do. Yeah, it, it feels great. It feels wonderful that you went through such a tremendous endeavor and it was worth every step. And let's not forget, you also do see the efficiencies. You see intake, care coordination, back office, HR, your finance office. You can do a lot more with more efficient staff numbers. So we are really able to measure those efficiencies in the offices. That's great. And Teresa, I really wanted to thank you today. I think this was awesome. I had a great time chatting with you. Just thank you for taking the time. We love the opportunity that we've had to, to work with you and seeing all the great things you're doing. And, I, and this story, I think, is something that really further organizations, they can, they can really take and, and, and say, hey, you know, we need to do something different. We need to make a change. There's ways to make it successful and, and really build upon it and, and really go back to where your fundamental blocks are, which are, what are we here for? What's our mission? What's our values? So um, I want to th- thank you for, for joining us today. Thank you, Rob. It was my absolute pleasure to talk to you as well. And, and everyone, thank you so much for uh, jumping on the, the Symmetry uh, Health 360 podcast. We were very excited to have you join us today. Stay tuned. We have some more exciting podcasts that will be coming out over the next several weeks. I mean, please attend and share with other colleagues across the, uh, the industry. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Thank you.